Hey everyone, I'm over here with Seafood Tommy, Luke Berling in uh, Langenfeld, Germany. And um, I was very happy and honored to be here, a guest in, uh, in his school and um, get a chance to see, uh, you know, to meet his students and see a bit how, um, or get an insight on the way he trains, on the way he runs his school. And I thought it would be a great, great opportunity to sit down and talk to him a bit about the differences in and Wing Chun style is a bit about Lat Tzu Chi Chung, Lo Lao Hoi Sung, and we'll see whatever else we can come up with uh, during the uh, actual conversations. Okay, so. sounds good. <laughs> so, Sifu Tommy, thank you so much for, for having me, and thank you so much for being a part of this uh, interview. Thanks a lot for having me. Hey, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to talk a little bit about the uh, similarities and also the differences within the Wing Chun styles. I'm sure that if you train in a, in a certain style, um, and you like YouTube, that uh, you couldn't help but notice that there are vast differences in the way that people move and in the way that the Wing Chun is being uh, perceived. Okay, so I guess one of the main reasons uh, is that we have a common denominator that is the sentence of Loi Lao Hoi Sung La Tsao Chik Chung, which to many non-Chinese speakers, this may just sound very Chinese, which it obviously is. What does that exactly mean? Because I know like, if you speak Cantonese, then Wing Chun has different uh, meaning for you or at least a different depth because uh, mm -hmm. uh, contrary to many other styles in Wing Chun the words explain exactly what you have to do with the technique for right. example toxel is a raising hand so this could never be a toxel or mm -hmm. if you talk about a tonsil palm upper hand then this would clearly not be a tonsil this would be so uh, it, it does make a lot of sense to understand or to know the words because they explain the technique in the way that you want to carry it out mm -hmm. I've heard that in so many ways and from so many people. It's true. Mm -hmm. So you guys who speak Cantonese, you're actually very lucky and blessed. Oh yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so when it comes to Loi Lao Hoi Sung La Tso Jik Chung, Loi Lao is uh, something that comes, well it means coming, staying, so something that comes has to be stopped somewhere. And I can do this by, uh, by applying a lot of force in order to make it stop, or I could do it by letting it go its way and just guiding it. Or I could do it by uh, letting it end up in a lever or in, a, in, a, in an arm break, for example, if that's a punch that we're talking about. So um, if you look at a certain interpretation, then um, you're going to give it that meaning. In other words, if you're a strong guy, for example, then it may be very well suitable for you to use your, inf your own force in order to bring your arms up at a certain angle that makes it difficult for the partner to come through. Yet, the way that I look at Wing Chun is that I always want to make sure that somebody who only weighs, I don't know, 50 kilos or so, has to be able to apply it against the guy that weighs 100 kilos. So, in that case, they need to um, deviate the force. Yes, exactly. They have to be much softer, they have to use circles much more, and that's the way that I teach, for example. But this, if, if we only look at this, well, the certain, the, the next part of it would be Loi Lao Hoi Sung La Tsao Chik Chung. La Tsao just means the hand is free, and Chik Chung thrust forward. Now, if, if we look at uh, the way that German or European masters translated this Chinese saying, then they, they actually divided it into four um, phrases. The first one was, if the way is clear, go forward, which means if you encounter somebody and he stands like this, then obviously you're not gonna grab his arm and walk around him, but you're just gonna hit his face or his, uh, his, his groin. Uh, the second one is if you encounter resistance, stick. So you try to punch him, but he blocks the whole thing. So the last thing you want to do then is withdraw your arm because obviously he can follow you and hit you then. So you stick with him, which is where Chiso comes into play. 
Then the third, uh, the third sentence would be, if the opponent's horse is to great yield, yeah, don't resist, but the second you feel that he's coming in, he's, uh, he's, uh, his force is superior than yours, and you just yield, give away. And the fourth one is, if the partner retreats, follow him. So this may be one way of how you can lay down this concept. But since it's a Chinese saying, um, it is much more, it gives much more opportunities, much more freedom for interpretations. Yes, yes, I think it's a double-edged sword because in one phrase you can so you can say so much, mm -hmm. but at the same time you can um, also lose the meaning of the phrase. Yeah, exactly. Right, if exactly. you're not really into it, or you don't know exactly what that what it's meant to do. Absolutely. And it's also interpretatory. That's that's where I'm going at. So uh, this could be just as correct as this, right? When it comes to the sentence, when it comes to the meaning of the sentence, it's all. It, it really comes down to the interpretation of the of the Wing Chun practitioner. So there has to be somebody who has. Uh, a certain um, standard, and it depends on the standard that this person, that the practitioner has, um, or maybe a maturity of uh, of his understanding of Wing Chun. Somebody who's very, who's still very young and very strong, maybe may one may have um, a different uh, favorite technique than somebody who's older, who's a bit more uh, senior, and who uh, maybe is also a little bit weaker. Mm -hmm. So they may favor other techniques. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I've heard this saying many times that the, the older you get, your Wing Chun becomes better. Because you have to go a bit, a bit deeper and you have to improve your feeling. Yeah. You cannot just rely on brute force. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, our program or our system has never been about that, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it is an, uh, an interest, it's an intelligent system. So, therefore, we should also make use of the intelligence uh, of the techniques that we use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. can, can you tell us a bit more about the BDS uh, program and the BDS? System. Sure. So BDS stands for Bülich Defense System. Bülich is my last name. And uh, we don't just teach Wing Chun. This is our adult branch. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also have a kids program, BDS Kung Fu. We have a violence prevention program and we have a law enforcement and fitness program that we have. And all of this is under the umbrella organization of BDS. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that I wanted to create um, an environment for people who say, well, I'm a Wing Chun practitioner, I like doing this, and I would like to earn some money with it, so I'd like to build a little business around that. They can do that. They can just go about, open a school, and teach the Wing Chun program for right. adults and for right. you. Right, right. But also for people who say, no, I really want to build my future with this thing, that they actually have a chance uh, in the mornings to go and hold violence prevention courses at universities, at schools, at kindergartens, at fire departments, at companies, and therefore create prospective students for the afternoon classes, which is the kids' classes, or the evening classes, which would be the Wing Chun classes. And since I've been working with uh, police units uh, for a very long time, it uh, was only natural for me that, uh, since I've been working in this field for such a long time, to develop a program that's specifically, specifically targeted for uh, law enforcement officers, right. and that's what tactical is. Now, the last branch that we have, the, the combat fitness, is um, I was looking for a fitness program to complement the, uh, the needs of a Wing Chun practitioner. And uh, if you look at our needs, for example, as people who like to punch, we need a so-called open kinematic chain, which means that we need to be able to, for example, generate force through the ground and into the opponent's face. Whereas uh, a judo uh, person, for example, who is in contact, in constant contact with the opponent, has uh, needs a close kinematic chain. So it's a different, a different need that he has when it comes to uh, to a fitness program. So um, I sat down with a few um, fitness performance uh, specialists, and we came up with um, a program that's based on high-intensity interval training. 
which allows you to lose weight and um, uh, grow muscle. Um, and also focus on the things that a winter person needs to be strong in, like we need a latissimus for grab, for neck pulling movements, we need uh, our tricep to work for, for punches, we need fast uh, footwork in order to be able to kick and to have um, uh, efficient uh, kicking and stepping techniques as well. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much how we structure it. Awesome, it sounds really, really good. Um, and I love this because, you know, we were speaking about it the other day, when I was in high school I really, really loved martial arts, but my mentality back then was that, like I, I could never teach martial arts because I would starve, right? At least that was like the mentality. Yeah, where I was from, right? Um, where I was living back then, and I see that you can do so much with martial arts today, right? And you probably could have done it in the past as well. How do you get out of that mentality that most people are, you know, where they associate? teaching martial arts which is just having like uh, you know barely making ends meet or you know and um, having it as a hobby how do you turn it into a profession well I think most people are good technicians by that I mean they're good to do a Tanda or a Ganda or something like that they're a very good fighter um, maybe also a very good teacher but they're either not interested yeah. Uh, in the uh, business side of things, or they don't know that there is a business side mm -hmm. to uh, becoming uh, a major player in the martial arts industry. And you really have to look at it as an industry if we're talking about uh, building a profession around this thing. So the first thing is the mindset yeah. of really being able to, or being interested in uh, making a living with that. And then there are um, certain organizations, if you browse the web, uh, there is a big industry of martial arts um, uh, business coaches out there who are more than willing to help you. A lot of them also more than willing to take a lot of money from you. So you're going <laughs> to want to evaluate which one you go with. Yeah. But um, first of all, um, be aware that what you teach is worth a lot of money. Especially when we talk about Wing Chun, this is a program that can change your life. And uh, it can make your life much safer, it creates self-confidence in you and in your students and that's something that is worth uh, charging money for. Yeah. It has to be in certain limits, of course, but um, it's, it's very, very, very possible to do that. And one of the things that I personally hate when, uh, when I talk you know, to people is that I say, oh, like some people say, oh, you're doing this just for business. And, there's nothing wrong with having a business if you're doing something valuable. I was just gonna say so the value has to be there. That's that's the main that's the main thing, obviously. What yes. are you talking about? Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, people are still scared of that, which is something I don't understand either. You're providing a business, you're, pro you're providing a service for your community, something that is really valuable because it can uh, uh, make the lives of so many people uh, better. It enhances the fitness, it improves the fitness, it improves so many things in, in the student's life. And uh, you are constantly striving to become better at this and uh, you take your own classes and your instructor charges you for them. So I think it's completely fair to um, yeah to actually charge your students for that yes definitely yeah, absolutely absolutely you know um, we're talking about it the other day you have that 16 year old kid who's depressed and who has like a very difficult situation at home mm. he comes for training and he suddenly stops thinking about killing himself mm -hmm. because exactly he finally finds community he finds hope he finds uh, support you know and that's not something you can actually pay for yeah that's true I agree right. So if you guys are teaching or if you're considering teaching, really, really see what you're doing for what it's really, really worth. Not what people say it's worth, right? Or like 
people charging 15 euros a month. See, these are the things that we're competing with. Um, here in Germany, I charge about between 80 and 100 euros per, per month for martial arts classes. And we compete with uh, organizations, with judo clubs, karate clubs, that charge 15 euros, which is a huge difference. Yet, if you come to my school, you see that it's a professionally run school. You see that the guys who work here, they're actually highly trained professionals. All of them are fitness trainers. All of them have done a, a th minimum of three to five years of training with me before they actually were considered to become Wing Chun instructors. They all work full time in the school. And for these things, obviously, you also uh, should be able to, uh, to, have, to charge a higher price. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Awesome. Let's go back a bit to Lats of Chichung and Lord of How do you see people um, using these concepts generally in a way Like, what do you feel are the differences? Oh, and by the way, guys, I had a chance to do some uh, cheese out yesterday with Sifu um, Tommy, and I really loved, loved his hands. And his Latsa is amazing, right? Thank you. So, I, I really enjoyed that part uh, a lot yesterday. So what do you feel are like the differences and what insights could you give to further optimize Latsao and Lowell uh, Khoisong? Well, first of all, to me, Chisao and Latsao is not two different things. I do understand that Chisao is not a fight, but it's a vehicle that should improve your fighting skills. Mm -hmm. So therefore, um, to me, the way that I understand Chisao is that no, not even the smallest single technique that we have in Chisao does not have an application. Everything you do in Chiso, you should be able to adapt to uh, um, to a combat situation, and that's the way that I that I teach. So usually, when we go into Chiso drills, then I have the students play those in Chiso, and afterwards I explain uh, immediately the application as how it relates to a combat situation, and have them. Uh, have them do that for a while. And that's something that I have not seen many schools do. There's a lot of schools who have a lot of different drills and they have no idea of how to, how to uh, apply those things. Yeah, and that's something that's I think is very important and very valuable. Mm -hmm. Especially in our way of training Chiso, we have uh, something that we call sections, which is, they're actually two-man forms. So uh, it's a choreography, partner one begins with attack number one, partner two defense with defense number one, and then he comes in with a counter and so on. And they're very, very long sequences sometimes. Um, and there are people who say um, uh, it's, it's more important to just have a handful of techniques and to practice those in order to get very efficient in those. But the way that I look at it is that I think the more you have, um, the more options you have later. And if you drill them, if you train those techniques over and over, if you train those sections over and over, then you also feed your body with the impulses that they that it needs in order to learn how to respond to these given situations. So we isolate this, uh, the movements in these sections, obviously, as well in an application format, but also in an isolated chiso drill. Um, but just to have to make sure that you don't forget about any of them, we have put them into those sections so that you uh, you can always you have a red line that you can go back to. If you forgot a certain drill, you go back to the section and there you have it. So it's a nice it's a nice help. But that also makes it uh, a lot of material, obviously. So a lot of stuff that you get to practice, which I think is a good thing. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I got a chance to see a bit to have some insights on your system. And I love the fact that it's very, very structured and very clear. Uh, your students know at any given time where they are, what's the next step. Yeah, the, yeah, that's the idea. Mm -hmm. What what they have to do actually. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of people don't have, including myself. And uh, I'm working with that for my school. 
Um, not because I like it, because that's like having structure and having being so disciplined is something that I personally hate, but I see that my students need it. They need it, yes, right? definitely. So I have to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a tip, guys. It's good to have like a good structure for your classes so that people know what they have to do, what they're learning, and how. Karate is excellent in this sense. Well, they've been around for a long time. They've been running professional schools for a long time. I think it's important that we do that as well. I mean, we even have grading sheets. We have student grades and we have instructor grades. And each of these student grades has a grading sheet, a grading preparation sheet. So each time the student comes into the class, I see that he's there, I see Joe is there. So I take out Joe's grading sheet and I put it on the counter over there. And while we're having our class, um, I can see exactly what Joe still has to do. And when I can see that he's sufficiently prepared in, I don't know, chain punches, for example, then I tick off the topic of chain punches and we carry on with the next thing. So if Joe should ever attend uh, a class where I'm not present but another instructor is here, then the instructor takes a look at the grading sheet and by the amount of uh, signatures that are on Joe's sheet, he knows exactly what he doesn't have to repeat anymore because he has been sufficiently prepared for that and he's going to train on the other uh, program points that are still there. And then at the end, when Joe is done with his, uh, with his sheet, he receives a signature and he's good to go for a grading. I know that a lot of you guys don't believe in examinations and stuff like that, but uh, if you want to run a professional school and you want to have a professional structure in it, in order to have your students advance in a structured way, then that's one of the ways of how you can do it. I'm not saying it's the only way. It's mm. <laughs> good. I would personally uh, you know, take one of my sheets and just sign all of them. Okay. And mark all of them until I get my, my black belt. Oh, <laughs> all right. That uh, probably wouldn't work. But... <laughs> no. So you guys actually have a black belt? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Like yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's funny because when I learned Wing Chun, we were actually making fun of this idea of having belts, right? Yeah. And you know, what do you need a belt for to tie your pants? That's what Bruce Lee used to say. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But yeah. this whole—I mean, Bruce Lee was somebody who didn't have to live from his uh, from his Wing Chun classes, you know? True. But if you're a professional martial arts teacher and that's all you do, then you have your students will hold you accountable on this stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, see, so you didn't teach me this and that and that and this. Oh yeah, that's right, I forgot. Why? Because it's not in the curriculum. Sure. Why? Because we don't have a curriculum. At least we don't have it written down. So I think it's important to have something like that in writing. And I, I think a lot of people actually learn that way when you know, without having a, a graded system. Or yeah, system. but they're bound to lose so much stuff. I mean, I've been in the scene for 26 years and I train on a daily basis. Most Sundays I don't train, but apart from that, pretty much every day, many hours. And I've been through so much material. If I wouldn't have at some point started taking notes and yeah. putting stuff down, my goodness, 70% of what I've ever learned, or maybe 80% would be out of the window by now. Absolutely. Guys, you need systems. Yeah. You need systems. You know, that's something that I learned from my uh, um, from teachers that I had outside of uh, martial arts, you know, regarding, you know, running a school, building, building a community. Mm -hmm. You need systems. You need to. Like, you do something, okay, make a system out of it. How, you, did you make coffee today? Okay, make a list and, you know, write down the steps of making coffee, now somebody else can make coffee. Right. And I think this is what it comes down to. Wing Chun is the biggest treasure that has ever been given to me. It has enriched my life in so many ways, and not just my life, but also the life of so many of my students. You know, I keep receiving, I train soldiers, I train police officers who actually go out and they get to apply what I do here with them. And uh, I get reports from how they survived a war, how they got out of a touchy situation. And this is something that can benefit so many people. And frankly, the more people I can reach with Wing Chun and therefore better their lives, 
better it is. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really valuable to bring everything into a teachable format and then spread it uh, so that uh, the community can grow and that more people get exposed to this wonderful system which can be life-changing. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. Okay, um, you guys actually um, interviewed uh, Sifu Tommy for uh, for the Wing Chun podcast. We dove into you know how he started out and uh, you know the whole his whole journey to to becoming you know uh, and, and building this this awesome organization. I'll post a link in the description of this video. You can listen to it. And um, if you have any more questions that you feel that um, we could answer, just type a comment below. You know, send them to Sifu. Get in get get in uh, in touch with me on Facebook if you like. I'm sure you're gonna find a profile that's still open. I have three or four profiles, uh, but I'm sure you're gonna be able to get one. Oh yeah, we also on the podcast we also spoke about kids training, where there's another topic, which is another topic that a lot Sensitive. of Wing Chun practitioners hate to learn about. But yeah. check it out; it may change your uh, your mind about that. Absolutely. You know, when we spoke of this before, I think it was. This was the fourth episode of the Wing Chun podcast, and I think it was somewhere, somewhere in February that yep. we did it, right? And we were talking about the Wing Chun, Wing Chun for kids, mm -hmm. and I was like, no, I'm not going to teach kids. Like, come on, the Wing Chun is not for kids. It's, it's true, it's, right? It's, it's, it's not true. Teach. I totally agree. Yeah. But we're not going to tell you more about that now. Listen to the podcast. Yeah. All I can say is that, um, you know, my students actually asked me to start teaching kids and uh, our conversation was a huge influence and I did and um, I created a class where kids and parents are coming together and training together it's, and I tell you it's one of the best things that I ever did. I'm so grateful for that. Nice. Awesome. awesome. Love hearing that. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much <laughs> for your time and for your invitation. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. Awesome. You guys connect with uh, Sifu Tommy and I'll see you guys next time.